0: Welcome to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns. Real people, real voices, real lives, discussing mental health, addiction and disability in the community. Your weekly window to the real world. Welcome to Take It From Us.
1: That is us, Take It From Us. Welcome into the program. Hope you're well. Hope you've had a great week hope you're looking after yourself and looking after each other. Uh, thanks for all of the comments that we get, of course, on our Facebook page. Please leave us a note, uh, facebook.com, take it from us and just let us know how you're going out there in our community. Uh, tough old times for so many people at the moment, so what we're hoping to do today and, and also, of course, into the future too is, is to try and brighten up our mood a little bit by talking about some good stuff but also, also having a look at, at what is happening in the community and where it is that we could be doing better and where we can maybe learn from each other and, and make, a, make a few changes uh, where we need to. I know that for me personally is something that I'm always conscious of is, is just trying to learn from other people and, and make some tweaks to my own lifestyle to try and be healthier because I, I, I do acknowledge that it can be pretty damn tough uh, day to day. I had a great night, though, on Friday Oh my little girl, who's who's five years of age, she's actually not far away from turning six. Would you believe, uh, has decided that she wants to play football. When I was a young kid, it would have been midget soccer. That's what we would have called it. Now it's junior football, and so we we went up as a family, the four of us, on Friday to the local footy club, and, and Willa had had no knowledge of what was it what was going to be happening, and, and nor did I. For, for that matter, but I volunteered to, to do a little bit of coaching. <laughs> not sure what I was doing. Uh, and so there I found myself on Friday night running around with about 10 or 12 screaming young girls, but screaming with delight and joy and making funny noises and was trying to juggle a whole lot of balls and figure out what was going on and, and try and bring a sense of direction to the whole exercise, but also allow them the freedom of figuring it out for themselves. And it was thoroughly engaging, and it was it was really, really great. Um, we had lots and lots of fun. You know, we got the girls to make monkey noises as they were kicking the ball, uh, pretending they were little race cars. Uh, and it's just to see that see the, the joy on their faces was tremendous. So, look, I've got no idea whether, whether my young girl wants to be a footballer, whether she wants to do this next year or the year after or whatever, but right now that's what she wants to do. And like all kids... And we know this from umpteen dozen surveys over the years. Kids want to play with their mates and have fun with their friends. And I got to see that firsthand on Friday and it was great. And also from, from my perspective, contribute to give up my time and to, to be engaged with other people was, was awesome. You know, I wish I could do a little bit more of that because we do know that is one of the key planks of of contentment is to actually volunteer and to contribute and give your time and be generous with spirit to other people. And, And I was able to do that on Friday and it made me feel really, really good about myself and also the community that, that I live in, that we had so many people there having fun and giving of their time and, and contributing, which was awesome. Uh, we've got a really good program for you today. We'll talk to Nicole Jones in just a moment. A little bit later, we'll talk to Ed Kitchen from Speed Freaks getting people out and about at all hours of the day to walk and to exercise. We know that's great for mental health, so we'll check in with Ed. And we'll also have a chat with Mark Wilson uh, from the Mental Health Foundation. Did you know that next Friday, May the 20th, is Pink Shirt Day and and awareness is being raised and funds are being raised uh, to try and combat bullying? which we know is a major problem in our society. So we'll check in with Mark Wilson a little bit later today as well. But as I say, Nicole Jones is our first guest on the program. Uh, She has an inspiring story to share with us today. Uh, Nicole is a peer support team leader at Ember, but that's a far cry from where she found herself two decades ago. So today she is going to tell us about the deep hole that she dug for herself, share her story and how she has been able to turn her life around and how she has now helping others in need. Nicole, it's great to have you on Take It From Us today. How are you?
0: I'm good. It's a lovely sunny day outside.
1: You sure. And tell us about the work that you're doing as a team manager, um, as, a, as a peer support worker. What is it that you're doing every day?
0: So our role is to walk alongside those that are experiencing addiction, um, struggles or distress, and, um, Everyone in my team um, has lived experience. By that I mean they've gone through addiction and also are now in recovery. Um, So everyone that works in my team comes from all different walks of life and have experienced addiction in many different ways, but always around substances. Um, We work from a model where it's about doing with people, not doing for people or two people. Mm. Um, we're a voluntary service, so we take self-referrals. So the person who wants to engage with our service rings us so we know that they are wanting this mm. and not that somebody else is saying that they need to do this for whatever reason. Mm. Um, we, our, The peers we work with range in ages, ethnicity, gender, gender. Um, At the moment, it's actually quite 50-50, the number of men and women in our service. Um, The peer support team that I work with, we have three uh, male peer support workers and three female peer support workers. Um, Their role is to be out in the community, um, being with their peers, helping them on the next step of what their alcohol or the drug goal looks like. For some people, that's abstinence, not using any substances. For others, it could be stopping alcohol. It could be um, drinking but not using drugs. It's set by them. So there's controlled drinking, harm reduction, um, and then maybe abstinence could be a further goal down the line. We also work about, you know, um, the main principles of tifalenta pa fa, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being, fa no spiritual well-being. So, looking at all elements and making a person well, um, we get to um, see people achieve their AOD goals, find work, go back into the community, um, and have that life that they've always been destined for. Um,
1: Mm. it' certainly the, the one thing that struck a chord with me that stood out from from what you were just saying was that the person has to be ready themselves they have to be they have to volunteer themselves in their own vulnerability to be helped so i wonder if at times is it difficult not to intervene or is it difficult not to push or encourage or coax when you're having to be patient and wait for people to do that
0: Yeah, I suppose we still encourage because everyone on the team's got lived experience. When they see things happening, they will share um, a similar journey to what happened for them and how they dealt with that. So the encouragement is through the inspiration. Um, The peer looks to them to go, oh, this is how you did it. Oh, I could do that. You know, so it shows it's possible. Um, who better to walk through a journey with you than the person who's has walked the path before you? Mm. You know, like it just, it lowers defences. People come in and go, oh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's that nodding of the head. They really get it. Um, and there's so many different ways, you know, that they can do it. You know, some of my team... Um, Their own recovery, do 12 step meetings like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Other people do it through um, different programs like there is RAP, which is Wellness Recovery Action Plan, where they provide um, their triggers and, and see what their patterns are and then have plans in place for when this evolves. You know, if we make a plan when we're well, when we're not well, we've got a process to follow. You know, and I think that's what my team shows them, um, that it's hard, but it's possible. You know, we our mantra really is is holding the hope for somebody until they can hold it for themselves. Mm.
1: Do, you, do you ever think about the optimism required, the true optimism required to do your job that is counterbalanced by, at times, the grim reality of the situation that you find yourself in?
0: No, I don't. And the reason I don't is because there's lots of optimism because we did it. Mm. We got clean through, you know, adversity and struggles and, you know, whether that's the criminal justice system or loss of children or family members, you know. So how can you not be optimistic because, hey, I did it, you know. Mm -hmm. You too can have this a day at a time. You know, we it's around making it more manageable instead of going, oh, what am I gonna do in the next year? It's like what can I do today? You know, I made a bad decision maybe, which that could be relapse or something. It's around, okay, what's the next best decision I can do? What's the next best step? You know? And so for us it's actually an honor and a privilege for somebody to welcome us on that journey with them. Because we get to see these beautiful moments where, you know, a little light bulb goes off and they're like, ah. This is what you mean, you know. This is what I could have, you know. Seeing people reunited with their families, with their children, you know. Um, having, you know, crippling anxiety to going out and getting a job, you know. How lucky are we to see that? Mm. You know, not everybody has the joy to say that. You know, we get to see people's lives turned around. We're lucky.
1: And the re- the reward is 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 great, isn't it? When, yeah. like like you say, you see someone's eyes light up and something has clicked for them. Does it take a lot of convincing to have people in a in a kind of a growth mindset where it's about doing the little things as best they can each day as opposed to wanting to wave a magic wand and acknowledging that there's no quick fix to some of the problems that they face?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I suppose it's hard because when you... You come into recovery and look at whether that's harm reduction or whatever, you're in a rush to get there. I just want to get there now. I just want to get there now. So for us, it's around trying to slow things down and and acknowledge what they are doing. So not what they're not doing, but what they are doing. Um, And peer support workers, they're out in the community. So, you know, they go with people to exercise, you know, because healthy mind, healthy body. This is a coping strategy. So sometimes they're they're not realising that these are some tools that they're being taught because they're just along for the ride kind of thing. And then it's like, oh, I can do that myself, you know. So it is around what... Tools can we provide you with to give you the best opportunity you know and that's working with other services you know um Ember have lots of different services you know and some of our peers join up with personal focus where there's a real social aspect where they can learn to be with people where drugs and alcohol's not a factor you know and they learn to have fun because at the end of the day you know that's what Everyone's looking for that happiness, yeah? Mm, yeah. So it's around teaching them how
1: to find that. We're talking with Nicole Jones, peer support leader at Ember, and Nicole, I-, I wonder if, in your darkest moments in your life, did you could you have ever possibly thought that you would find yourself now with um, having studied social work and having qualifications to now help people on a day to day basis? Would you have ever thought you would be capable of, of where you're at?
0: No. Definitely not. You know, I wasn't a clever student. Um, When I went and did my studies, I struggled. It was hard, you know, going back into a school environment. Um, And to be honest, I didn't think I'd be able to stay clean, you know. um, Life throws some curveballs, you know, and sometimes life's not great, you know, but it's around knowing that should I um, relapse and use that, it's not going to change that situation, I would just let myself down, you know, and how I did it was because people believed in me, you know, and I thought if somebody could love me, then I must be lovable, you know, and having that belief, which is, is halfway there, you know, if there's somebody in your corner, it's half the battle. Um, one of the peers we were working with who completed with our service because they were off doing studies of their own to hopefully become a peer support worker. And she said, I looked at it as like peer support were my personal cheerleaders, you know, and I was just like, that's a really nice way to think about it. You know, we're in your corner. Um, and I had lots of people in my corner that didn't give up and believed in me until I could believe in myself. Um, and I take that through with everything I do, you know, I have no right to judge another person. Um, every person has a right to respect. I haven't walked in your shoes, so I don't know what it's like for you. I can emphasize how it was on my journey, but I haven't walked in your shoes and I'm not going to pretend that I have. Mm. You know. So for me, no, I never thought I'd be a clinician or working in this field. Um, when I started working in a treatment center, my first job – um, I was like, oh, hell, I'm not doing that. This is crazy, you know. And then it just it became the new normal. And I was like, oh, this is how, for lack of a better word, normal people do it, you know. They get up, got to work each day, you know. There's that routine. And I think for me that was missing in my addiction as mm-hmm. I'd lost routine. Mm. Um, and routine keeps me safe. Um, and Ember's just given me an amazing opportunity um, to be able to work with a, a peer team who... The requirement for the role is to have lived experience, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Who would have thought addiction was your key to a job, you know? But it is, so, yeah. For me, I like to see my team and find that, as well as the peers that then become
1: peer support workers in the field, also. Mm. Yeah, and, and routine is so important and so undervalued and underrated by so many people. Like in, in my occupation as a health coach, that these are the conversations that I have with 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 my clients too, all of the time around routine, and and I often give the example of of children after after dinner. They brush their teeth and they have a bath and then it's cuddles and they read their story books and, and as adult as parents we're going, to go, Oh, here we go again but it works, eh? And and we know that it works for adults as well. But it's in, in so many cases I guess it's about having just the belief that and even, I guess, is it a form, would you say it's a form of discipline and, and just almost as a box ticking exercise just to go through this rudimentary stuff as often as you can because the benefits can wow. be enormous, eh? Definitely.
0: And yeah, and I do think it's that. And I think, you know, we lose routine because, you know, people think they become an adult, they can do what they like, you know, and that's what you're striving for. And you your mm. younger years, yay! nobody can tell me what to do. Well, you know, routine is, is something that we need to have. That's how we survive. You know, rules are there to keep us safe, they're not there to keep hold us back. So I think it's a real changing of that mindset. Um, but it's like, I think back to, you know, when I stopped using substances in 2004, um, I went to 12 step meetings. So I, I was a member of Narcotics Anonymous. And that saved my life because there were all these people that had gone before me that could show me how to do it, you know. And they work on a 12-step principle and you work through those steps and that meant I could clear that wreckage out where I didn't have to keep punishing myself for the things that I had done except celebrate for the things I'm doing, you know. So for me it was finding a new community um, and that's what I got there because um, it can often be quite isolating in recovery because generally those that you hang out with use mm. drugs and alcohol because mm. you were using them, so it's you gravitate mm. towards each other. So it can be really difficult.
1: Have you been able to move on from your own past?
0: Definitely. Um, it doesn't mean it doesn't sort of pop up every now and again. Um, because of um, my um, criminal justice Um, Dealings, I suppose you could say, Um, it was hard to find work Um, and to be given that opportunity. A lot of people shy away from that. Um, And, you know, they talk about, you know, everybody deserving a second chance, but you know what? Sometimes you don't actually get that opportunity and it's really sad Mm. that we would say that somebody's unrehabilitative because everybody is. Their timing just might not be right, you know, and... Mm. When I got to be a part of the Alcohol and Drug Court as a case manager with them, and you would, we would have people that might not graduate the court, but you know what? We planted seeds for them, and those seeds will grow. And then when they're ready, they know where to go to get help. And if we can give that to everybody that touches our service, then half the journey's done.
1: How long have you been substance-free
0: now? Um, I'll be 18 years substance-free on June the 21st.
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's only doing it on a daily basis, you know. I really firmly believe that I don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I'm, I'm abstinent for today and then tomorrow I'll deal with tomorrow.
1: How, if you don't mind me asking, how have you been able to avoid relapses?
0: Um, I think reaching out for help, doing the things I didn't want to do, Um You know, like I had a plan with my sponsor um, who was a Narcotics Anonymous sponsor and she would say, ring me before you pick up. Um, And then, you know, you'd ring her, which I would do. Because reality was, is I didn't really want to use. I just didn't know how else to deal with things. Mm. And it got overwhelming. And uh, she'd be like, okay, yeah, uh, how about you wait till tomorrow? Then you can, you know, go and use. Um, And because things were generally different the next day. You know, it's that instantaneous thing that you're thinking. So she helped with that. I went back and did counselling um, at three years abstinence, five years abstinence, seven years abstinence, um, and I've just started doing counselling again uh, for myself um, because that's how I stay well, yeah.
1: And for those of us that do relapse, what's the message?
0: Get back up and, and, and give it another go, Yeah doesn't matter what knocks us down as long as we get up. You know, there's that saying, I get knocked down five times, but I get up six. And that's all that matters. You know, there's no judgment. Mm. Um, Relapse doesn't have to be a part of recovery, but it often is a part of recovery. You know, looking at it honestly and going, okay, what led to this? What happened? What else could I have done? You know, where could I have put a flag in going, I could have chosen a different path at this stage, you know, and that's what we're there to help them find, you know, because often relapse builds up. It doesn't just, it's not like I'm going to do it. Um, Sometimes that does happen. I'm not saying that's always the case because you might be somewhere unprepared um, and out comes your drug of choice and, you know, sometimes it can really catch you off guard. Um, Also, people think that you only relapse when you're struggling but that's not true either. You relapse when you're celebrating because that's how you used to celebrate. So it's learning to not just worry about the bad times, but keep a check on the good ones too.
1: Mm, yeah, because there'll be an emotion driving the behaviour and, and sometimes it might be pride or it might be euphoria or like you're talking about, you're celebrating. And so I guess is the is the warning there to be very careful of, of those feelings and emotions because that might be a trigger.
0: Definitely right Definitely. Um, and I suppose that's some of the work that my team will do with people is trying to get them to see what those triggers are you know like relationships is generally a big trigger because there's always a lot of emotions involved in a relationship mm. you know your children you know that powerlessness um, that often somebody else is deciding um, how it works for you you know like if you're involved with children it can be really hard for parents mm.
2: was, was
1: there a moment can you recall a moment when you felt like, this is it, I cannot go on as I'm going, I have to make changes?
0: Definitely. Um, and I suppose that was when I was waiting to be arrested. Um, I would already started treatment because the drugs were no longer working. Um, I was a basket case, really. Like I felt like I was going crazy. Um, I, had, I was covered in sores. I was jittery. I just wanted the world to leave me alone, and I think a lot of it was shame-driven because I had no drugs, so, you know, all those feelings and emotions come back. Um, So I have no doubt that I hit um, Mm. the lowest I could go. You know, I did things that I'm certainly not proud of, and I said that I would never do. You know, values and morals get lost Mm. when you're using substances. Um, And... You know, like I just, I look back and I think, wow, I can't believe that I ever thought that was fun. Because now that's not the case. You know, like it's, I have fun and laughter's real and there's enjoyment, which I don't think I got in a long time mm. in my using. You know, probably 18 months before I stopped, it had turned to shit.
1: Mm. Yeah, we've talked about judgment a few times on our program and i i often wonder whether and i'm not sure how many people in our in our community would would be oblivious to the fact that it could happen to to any one of us to find ourselves in these these terrible situations through over time we find ourselves thinking my god how is it i'm in this position and Do you think that's the case, that that too many of us are oblivious to that fact, that we can sit in judgment, but it might actually be
0: us one day? Definitely. Um, And I think, especially because, you know, like the perception of methamphetamine, you know, like it's um, gang run, there's all of this violence that happens because of it. You know, that doesn't happen for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think more and more, either yourself or somebody you know, has been affected by addiction in some way. So I think there is a lot more awareness out there. Um, But look, when I stopped using in 2004, I had no idea where to go to get help, you know. It wasn't really promoted that much, you know. Like you don't hear um, CADS, which is Community Alcohol and Drug Services, advertised on the radio, got an addiction problem, give us a call. You know, so there's no... The only media you get is generally when somebody's done something really terrible and then there's all this notice about it, you know. I think we have got better at that, but I think we need to um, promote it more. It's not a bad thing. It's not, you know, these services don't, you know, create this thought that everyone there is a criminal or homeless or a waste of space. These are real people that have just fallen through the cracks in our services, you know. There's long waits for residential beds and treatment, you know. people It's hard to get help.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and in a lot of the instances too, because we, we look at the, a lot of this stuff and this behaviour, Nicole, through a criminal lens, um, but in actual fact, the only crime in a lot of instances is actually using the prohibited substance. That's it. But if, if we could just... Turn our own view on that around slightly, it might make all the difference.
0: I agree. Yeah. I think if we, as a society, stop judging others by our own beliefs, the world would be a better place. You know, and if we treated everybody with kindness and respect mm. and opportunity, wouldn't people be better off? They'd yeah. reach their potential. You know, that's yeah. all we want for everybody.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I'd, I'd like to finish on that note. What? Just tell us again, what is it that you are doing and your team is doing to make the world a better place?
0: Honestly, sharing through our own experiences of addiction and recovery, showing others that it can be possible, never giving up on them, holding the hope for them until they can one day do it for themselves. Yeah.
1: Well congratulations again you're about to to hit a pretty big milestone 18 years substance free next month nicole and just thank you again for the work that you're doing in our community and for all of the people that you are helping and for for showing some courage along the way and and for telling us your story today on take it from us thank you so much
0: awesome thank you very much
1: from us. That is a Kiwi song by a group called Evermore called Running, which segues in beautifully to our next guest because here at Take It From Us, we're always looking for different tools people are using to help each other. This one does sound very interesting. It's a group called Speed Freaks. Hey, there's the running reference.
3: Uh, joining us from Speed Freaks is Ed Kitchen. Ed, thanks so much for your time. How are you doing? No worries. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing really well. Thanks. I'm doing well. That's good
1: to hear. What? Uh, tell us about Speed Freaks.
3: So the Speed Freaks is um, an NGO that was born in Christchurch and it's recently uh, moved to Auckland and we are all about running and walking um, for recovery. So connecting people in addiction and um, mental health services together through running and walking.
1: And why is it important for people, well why is it important for you, let's start with you, why is it important that you run or walk or do both?
3: Well, I've worked in addiction for 15 years or so. Um, the last 12 of which in in um, New Zealand, um, in Auckland, and I've worked in prisons. I was in the prisons for seven years, and um, and in residential programs and with youth. And and, I, and my whole career, really, I've been looking at ways to try and sort of plug the gaps because there's this period of vulnerability. We do great work, um, I think, in the in our prisons, but but then on release, you know how. Ha- how much support do we offer and there and don't get me wrong there is support um but it's really hard it's a hard space to work in and get right um and and in the same way you work in residential programs and and then sort of plunking people back into their environments so um what what i've always been looking for in my career is a way to um provide options for people to um access support um Whatever stage they're at in their journey, even if they're in active use, um, a place where they can come, they can engage with and um, in a sort of light way, it's not overwhelming. There's no, um, uh, the community and pro-social, you know, networks and the real magic is the volunteer workforce that we have. And they're just, you know, ordinary people. Generally, they're into interested in running and walking, and that tends to be where we rec- And they've usually got obviously an, an interest in addiction, either through their own experience or their phono. And um, but you know they're you know accountants and um, estate agents and builders and um, you know all sorts just all. Walking. Um, and I think that's really the key because it gives. Um, the folk who join us through the services that we work with, an opportunity to to interact with just people from different kind of Mm. spaces of the community. And so the running and walking is really a a mechanism to allow kind of that. um, Because it's really, it's all about connection. Yeah,
1: I bet you see some magic, do you?
3: Yeah, no, look, honestly, amazing stories on a regular basis. Really fantastic place to work. Um, you see like stories of people they um, got kicked out of services and um, stayed engaged in, in the system just as a result of being involved um, with our groups um, and, and people who just get into um, running in, in, in a more serious way as well and a part of our model is that we we access we, get, we take people to events. Um, and that's a really strong motivator and great kind of connect people with the wider kind of running community, which is an amazing, um, we've seen people become really engaged in that community and independent and, uh, you know, doing ultra marathons and, and all the rest. Um, so yeah, we've, some wonderful things, but the more kind of less intense and it's just seeing mm-hmm. people show up regularly. That's really the magic, um, and especially when they're, they're potentially a little bit chaotic otherwise just um just coming along we we and um so there's people from all walks of life and um, um yeah we're starting to see um some regulars who just just show up and and join us and we have a chat um mm. and they know that we're there every week
1: and how many people do you normally have who, who might? Tell, I guess the numbers would vary from week to week.
3: Yeah, but how many so, people? Um, depending on the on the group. So we we are new in Auckland. Um, mm. We're more established in Christchurch, where it began, and so they have sort of twenty odd um, on in their community and their community runs um, with their service. They so we have two types of runs. We have our, our service runs. So um, here in Auckland, that's with Odyssey, um, which is a residential program in New Lynn. And Epsom Lodge um, in Newmarket, and and then we have community runs. So we do K Road um, alongside Lifewise Cafe. Um, um, sorry, the Merge Cafe is run by Lifewise, and also we do Saturday morning runs with uh, alongside Park Run and their community runs. So the so the community runs are open to anyone, and the service runs are just to to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so to come back to your question. You know, we, um, we're probably getting, uh, looking at the numbers, uh, seven or eight folks mm. will come out on our on our groups, and we've just started a 6 group, and that's not quite as popular yet. <laughs> and we get three or four plus our coaches. Um, and same with Odyssey. We've got three or four, five sort of numbers vary, but I, they'll build up. And obviously, with yeah. COVID, um, we had to put the pause button, so we lost a bit of momentum. And then our community runs, you know, um, we've had up to ten um, at K Road, but um, you know it probably averages six seven somewhere around there with plus our coaches.
1: But I mean any walk any community group that starts up, it always they it starts small, and over time it gets bigger and bigger and bigger,
3: yeah. doesn't it? That's right, and you know even if it's just our coaches there, I think the important thing is that we show up. And that people see that. So we have a quite a distinctive blue t-shirt. Um, that's part of the part of the um, identity. So once you run with us three times in a row consecutively, you get a t-shirt. And um, we all look the same in our distinctive blue Speed Freaks t-shirts.
1: Yeah.
3: Great. And and the benefits to,
1: to walking are profound, aren't they? Mm. both psychologically, um, neurologically, also physically, um, the benefits to actually getting out there and walking are huge. And do the do the people that you walk with mention that afterwards, once I've been doing it for a little while, that they notice their their brain health has improved?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty well documented. Eh? And um, just that 30 minutes of exercise, it's the British Foresight Commission who did that research and, and the um, five ways to well-being that the mental health foundation here in New Zealand um, uses and, and they talk about um, the research showing just 30 minutes of high heart cardio activity three times a week it'll have huge kind of profound implications on mental health um, you know obviously your physical health there's a huge benefit there but yeah look I, th- I think it makes so much difference um, so we're you know like I said we just started the 6 30 a.m Right, and just getting up and doing a run in the morning and starting your day that way. I started my day that way. It takes a bit of discipline. I didn't always I don't always want to. Um, but it sets you up for the day, um and gives you um well, you know, even if you're not productive, you can always say, Well at least I <laughs> at least I did my run um or walk. Um Yeah, and we want to emphasize that it is running and walking because um yeah, it's kind of all levels. But we definitely have um we encourage people to um especially a little yeah, bit um, it's not it's not about okay. performance but um, we're, we you know i think especially if we're working towards events we want to make sure that people have um, uh, kind of the fitness to do whatever they're signing up for so we'll support them to do that but we're not we're not a kind of fitness and sports first kind of yeah. an organization we're an addiction recovery connection um, and and this fitness and it sort of comes as a as a byproduct. Mm.
1: Well, the other thing I love about what you're doing is that you're encouraging the shared experience, and we know too how important that can be for people, for all of us, to to be connected and to share experience and to look at what each
3: other's doing. Yeah, man. I mean, just the finish lines are often um, what people will talk about in speed freaks as a kind of significant shared experience. Um, just the cheering and. You know, because of the shirts, um, it's sort of an equaliser. Part of our co papa is um, sort of challenging the stigma around addiction that can exist in mental health. Um, but when we're all wearing shirts, like it equalises. You're, you're just. I think that the folk who, who groups have quite a profound kind of sense of, you know, I'm not less. I'm, I'm not more, I'm equal yes. to the volunteers. Likewise, in you know, the community, who may have otherwise been a little bit hesitant about having, you know, people with facial tattoos, <laughs> um, gang marks, and having them kind of join them as part of their activity, you know, get to know, you know, the Speed Freaks T-shirt is a, um, it provides access. Um, to our groups, you know, it gives people confidence um, um, and more welcome just as a result of your history. And so that shared experience, um, both for the participants and the kind of broader running community, by extension, is probably the most powerful thing. And it's, it's why I'm Kind of so passionate about this this work. Yeah, well, it's, inspi- it's
1: inspiring stuff, Ed. And how do we get hold of you? How do people get hold of you?
3: So um, um, speedfreaks. org. nz. So you can find us there. Um, you can donate if you're um, keen to do that. There's a button to do that. Um, as I say, we operate in Christchurch and Auckland. So Anna Christoforou, shout out to her. I mean, she's the founder um, and she's um yeah just got so much passion so she and (laughs) she's great at responding um you can contact her through the website or me my name's ed kitchen so i'm the program lead here in tamaki makoto so we've got some funding um to do this through the acute drug harm fund so that's how we're able to do it and um uh it's myself and eden carson who's the peer support worker um who uh and who also works for us um, 20 hours a week Um, and Mm -hmm. we're really lucky to have him well it's great to hear that you're helping people
1: to to get out and get some fresh air and and spend some time together and, and have that shared experience thanks for your time Ed and keep up the good work all the very best
0: this is Take It From Us real stories real life as told by you
1: Next Friday, May the 20th, is Pink Shirt Day, a uh, very important day to raise awareness in the fight against bullying. But we need to know a little bit more information about that. Uh, Mark Wilson is with us from the Mental Health Foundation to talk to us here at Take It From Us about the Pink Shirt Day. Mark, thanks for joining us today.
2: Oh, kia ora. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Look, how are the plans going for Friday, uh, May the 20th? Everything on track? So good, so good, it's the busiest time of year for us on Pink Shirt Day, clearly with lead up to the big day people are wanting to get resources and wondering where to get t-shirts and just find out about bullying in New Zealand. Mm. What is the history of Pink Shirt Day, how did it come about? Well, it started in Canada in 2007 um, when a schoolboy was bullied for wearing a pink shirt. So some of his mates kind of went, hey, that's really uncool, and decided that they would kind of wear pink in support of him. And from that, um, Pink Shirt Day was born. And in New Zealand, it sort of turned up in about 2010, 2011, I think. So it's um, become a regular fixture of our calendar. Mm. And what's the significance of
1: the day? What is it that you're hoping to achieve?
2: I guess what we're trying to do is, um, you know, create a, a kind more inclusive New Zealand where everyone feels safe and valued and respected, regardless of gender identity or beliefs, you know. It's about celebrating who we are and allowing for that. So it's quite mm. simple, really. So it's a really simple idea and realising how bullying unfortunately is such a big part of our lives and let's just stop that you know what what constitutes bullying there uh, it's a complex answer this one but mm. um, you know bullying is more than just a joke with a maid you know a bit of a ribbing you know there, there's there's got to be some intent to it there has to be it's often. Um, it may involve um, f- physical harm as well. And it's when you've said no and it keeps on coming back at you. So those are some of the simple things. So, yeah. you know, and sometimes people believe they're being bullied and it might not quite, f- quite fit that. But um, trust me, when you're being bullied, you know you're being bullied and that's unacceptable. And often it's still done in pro- It's done public as well as obviously online mm. as a big um, kind of mm. platform, unfortunately, these days for bullying. Yeah, I mean, there is overt
1: bullying, but there's also that grey area, isn't there, Mark, where where people are laughing and jo- or the jokes at someone's expense and that person feels bullied for good reason. Yeah. Yet the person who would be accused of being the bullier was thinking he was funny or thinking yeah. she was having a laugh. And that's where we kind of get into that grey area where it's good to
2: maybe broaden out this conversation a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's that's very true. And But I think if you feel that you are being laughed at for how you look, what you're wearing and your beliefs, that's unacceptable to have somebody challenge those. So I think you have every right to say, hey, can you stop doing that? I'm finding that... Um, offensive it's um it hurts me whatever you know you find your answer to that particular scenario so um if you believe it's bullying then yes um you know and say to that person stop it and um but I think with bullying generally it's in the workplace so it, it's um that's a really complex um scenario there when you are the one that's being you believe is being bullied by a boss or a manager and it's about how do you elevate that and where do you go to get the support um and that's when the rest of us as upstanders you know people who may witness this need to gather around and support that person It's interesting you reference the workplace bullying because we've had
1: so many stories, haven't we, publicly in New Zealand about this recently. Do you think it's getting easier now for people who feel bullied or for employees or staff members to actually confront bullying people and also their bosses and people
2: in power? Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully it is. And hopefully if you feel that you are being bullied, that you can go to your boss slightly complex when it is your boss that's being the bully. But um, depending on your workplace, you may have an HR person and that should be your first port of call. If you belong to a union, maybe you can um, have somebody represent you there or you could go to some sort of advocacy organisation to um, talk with them to see how you can best approach this in your workplace. Um, You would want to get some sort of... um, Have evidence of this happening and and what you claim to be the bullying and hopefully by um putting together some good you know background on what's happened to you and using some of the um people in your other people in your workplace you may be able to kind of stop this or at least try and resolve what the issues are Mm -hmm. so
1: uh, pink shirt day's been around in new zealand for 10 or 12 years now do you think there has been a reduction
2: in bullying in that time here? Um, I think there's a greater awareness to the impact of bullying. And um, unfortunately, bullying takes on so many um, platforms. And And in that 10 years, we've seen the growth of online bullying and social media bullying that um, it's sort of changed. I think the shift is changing. And um, so... Alas, I think it's prevalent, we, we again are very high in the statistics for um, bullying, whether it's in the workplace or our youth, and particularly if you identify as rainbow, um, it's a significant um, issue. And for young people, that can be have catastrophic consequences. So, um, and also the online. So, we've got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. But I think by raising awareness to the issues of bullying and the impacts that bullying can have on individuals. Um, Hopefully we can um, make it empower people to know what to do when that happens to them or stop bullies from doing that. Yeah, because the the knowledge can be power. I mean, when you and I were young boys, Mark,
1: we knew who the bullies were. And yeah. so we had options at our disposal. We either avoided the bully, we stood up to the bully, or we went and talked to our parents or talked to a teacher or confided in someone that we trusted. Now, a lot of the time, we don't know who the bullies are. And I wonder how how much of an issue that is going to be to get on
2: yeah, top of. It is. And also when we were young, we the bullying kind of stopped at 3 o'clock when we sped home. That's right. And we, and we had a retreat without the constant um, barrage of bullying on our phone that happens. So that's when you need to bring in some really good strategies about, um, you know, sort of online care, you know, making sure that block yourself from those chat groups where you find yourself being... Mm the one being bullied, talk to someone else in the group who's been supporting you and try and get them to um, stop the other people from doing that. It's um, it's really hard and there's no simple quick fix to this. But Mm -hmm. if it's social media bullying, you'll need to just remove yourself from that platform. And, and that's a really hard thing to do when you're young and that's your connection to the world as well. So it's a it's a, it's a a complex thing, you know, because there's a lot of good from being connected on social media and there's equally a lot of bad. So it's about yeah. the most important thing is if you're a young person, not to keep that to yourself. Let somebody that you trust and respect know. So that could be somebody from school. It could be somebody in your family. It could be a parent. And from there, you can work out some um, good strategies mm. to kind of stop that happening. But yes, it's a, um, that's a beast of a problem now because people can just have whole different, um, you know, avatars or whatever, they, and they kind of, they're anonymous, so it's really hard. But you're going to have to remove yourself from those situations. All right, Mark, tell us about the official shirt. How do we get one? Great. Well, you can buy them at Cotton On stores throughout the country, and adults cost $25, kids are $15, and they're available online for purchase as well, but the cutoff date is fast approaching, so that's on the 16th of May, but they'll be in-store until they're sold out. I know that each year they sort of sell out on... the day before, and there's a big line-up in stores trying to get them on the last day, a classic Kiwi way of doing well, things. It's leave it to- Sunday, isn't it? Yeah, we leave it to the last minute. So yeah. um, I'd encourage you all to get out um, as soon as you can to buy one, and it's, it's amazing seeing other people wear them. You know, on the day, we do a lot of travelling around, and we often go to the cotton-on stores, which are our, who are our partners, and we talk to them, and it's just wonderful to see... Them getting so enthused, but then you bump into people along the way, and it's so cool. We dri- I remember we we're driving past the school on pink shirt day and seeing this whole field full of kids wearing pink, you know, and it's great. But this is the real thing of, for, for many males, it's a really hard color to wear, and they kind of feel, and this is a real challenge to them, and that's the whole concept is challenging those norms and um, just saying, hey, it's cool, you can wear whatever you want to wear. Yeah. Yeah, wear whatever you like, um, but
1: you're kind of wanting people to buy into the spirit of the day and maybe be a little mindful and a little bit thoughtful about it.
2: Absolutely. Wear something pink um, and that could strike up a conversation with somebody else about why why you're wearing that. And if somebody says something to you, you can say, well, hey, it's Pink Shit Day, this is why I'm wearing it. You know, I don't need to be mm-hmm. um, laughed at for wearing this colour that is, um, has got so many connotations and... I just feel free wearing that and that's part of who I am and yeah we should be, you know and this is part of the issue we're living in our modern world now everyone's kind of got a view and opinion on everything and um, this is about celebrating those views and opinions. you know if you happen to wear pink, that's great. Yeah, well myself, my family, we're all getting them uh, uh, and we'll wear them with pride on
1: Friday, May the 20th. Really looking forward to it. You're doing great work, Mark. Thank you so much for chatting to
2: us today and all the very best for Pink Shirt Day. It's been great. And thank you so much, Kent. And people can find out more information on pinkshirtday.org.nz. Heaps of little fun activities to do there for your workplace or school. And I have ordered a pink shirt for myself and for
1: my family as well. Uh, they're on the way. Uh, they'll be delivered, I think, later this week. I will wear them with pride next Friday, May 20th. Uh, please drop us a line too here at Take It From Us, of course, via the Facebook page. And one thing you can do when you're there is give us a Sheldon shout-out. Who is worthy of a bit of a shout-out from us today? Uh, Karen, who have we got?
0: Well, uh, Kent, thanks for mentioning the Facebook page because this week's shout-out did come by our facebook page take it from us and it's from abby and abby just wants to give a shout out to her dad her dad lost his job at the start of lockdown a couple of years ago and um, like a lot of people we know he went through a a tough time um, but he's just got another job and she says things are looking up so um, well done to abby's dad and thanks abby for messaging us here on take it from us
1: that is so good to hear I can empathise with with being laid off a couple of years ago. I can probably know a little bit about what that man's been going through, and it's just so great to hear that he's, he's on the bounce back and has a job and can rip into it. So congratulations, man. That's, that's a huge achievement. Uh, thank you so much to Karen for producing our programme this week. Also to our special guests on the show, Nicole Jones, Ed Kitchen and Mark Wilson. Please drop us a line, of course, via our Facebook page. Take it from us. Look after yourself. Look after each other. We'll talk again next week.
0: You've been listening to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns, produced by Karen Murphy, executive producer Andrew Dewhurst, made with the real stories and voices from our community. And for that, we thank you. For more information on anything you've heard on today's show, or for direction on where to seek further advice or assistance, visit our Facebook page. Take It From Us.